happy Friday. Well, at least for me anyways, it's Friday here. Uh, happy whatever day it is for you. And welcome to Of Monsters and Crime. I'm Jordan. Uh, it's been a while actually since I think I've said my name, but I am your hostess with the mostest, Jordan. Thank you for coming. Uh, thanks for letting me tell you about true crime. Uh, tonight I'm drinking, um, weird, I know. Uh, I'm drinking wine tonight, and it's actually been a while since I've drank wine. Uh, the past few episodes, I've had either beer or other stuff. Uh, so I'm drinking a red wine. Uh, it's Italian. I will not attempt to pronounce the name of this wine, but it, the, uh, brand name, I don't know what the fuck it's called, but it's a, it's called Tintoretto, I think is how you pronounce it, Tintoretto. It's got a picture of a pig on it, and the name of the wine is S-A-N-G-I-O-V-E-S-E. Don't know how to pronounce it, not gonna try. Um, if you guys know, then good for you, but I don't. So, um, that's what I'm drinking tonight. I will try to keep the clinking down to a minimum. I will edit those out if it gets too bad because you don't need to hear that shit. Um, shout outs to my five gang forever and always. And a very happy birthday to Freakery. Um, also, I want to give a shout out to Hate Sec and Kilgore. I was a guest on their internet radio show about two weeks ago. Um, and it's called Hate Radio, and it was awesome, and I had a blast, and it was nice to talk to other people, for one, and, um, I guess promote myself and the podcast, um, so, but it was a lot of fun, and I didn't want it to end, and I hope that maybe they'll have me back if they need someone, they can't fill their guest spots. Um, also, I, I can't wait for any other guest appearances on any show that wants me. Um, it's just, it's super fun. And um, holler at me. Uh, so you can check that out at hateradio.su. Um, let's see. TV and movies. What have I been watching? Uh, I watched a movie called Tusk. It is probably seven-ish years old. Uh, it's a Kevin Smith movie, and it's like a horror comedy. It's really weird. It's, um, yeah, a horror comedy. Uh, it wasn't too, like, horror-ish. It wasn't really scary, but it was just weird. Uh, I don't want to give too much of it away, but I guess you can tell from the title, Tusk, uh, dude turns another dude into a walrus, and I'll leave it at that, and you guys should go watch it if you maybe are into that. Um, warning though, it is weird. It's not for everyone. Um, 
TV shows I've been watching, let's see, I've been watching this show called Schmigadoon, and it's a, it's a, like a musical-ish type show. It's uh, basically a couple gets stuck like in some musical land where they randomly like break out into song. And it's got the chick from SNL, um, Cecily Strong, and then Kegel Michael, Keegan Michael Key is also uh, one of the other main characters on the show. And it's pretty funny. Uh, if you do not like musicals, you probably wouldn't like this because they sing not like 100% of the time, but 50% of the time, I'd say. Uh, they just randomly break out into song. Um else have I been watching uh random sitcoms here and there uh Superstore is another one that I turn on sometimes at night just to like have something playing as I'm getting ready to go to sleep that's a funny one I also started watching the show called Power which is I think kind of old I don't know how many seasons there are but I think there's at least a few and I believe 50 Cent is the, I don't know, producer or something. He's involved in it somehow. Um, and I'm maybe four episodes into that, and that's pretty good so far as well. Um, I think that's about it, at least in, that's worth mentioning anyways. Um, you know... As I'm drinking, so last night I decided I had a I had a rough day yesterday, so I wanted to relax after work, and so I had a couple drinks, and I noticed that my nose started to get super stuffy, and I've noticed that a couple times doing the podcast that like halfway through, all of a sudden I'm like, God, it sounds like I'm getting sick, like my nose is stuffy, and I just sound weird, and the same thing happened last night and I'm like is that like am I allergic to alcohol or something like what is that what kind why am I having that kind of reaction to alcohol that's not cool so if I start to sound like my nose is plugged up and that I'm getting sick I'm not getting sick I'm just drinking alcohol and apparently it makes my nose stuffy so there's that um I really don't think I have much else to talk about, so maybe we should get right into this. Um, so what I'm doing tonight, there is a, there's a documentary uh, that everyone should watch if you guys are interested in this story at all. Even if you're not, it's really interesting. Uh, there's a lot of uh, injustice and race wars and just it's just interesting so uh, it's called well the story I'm doing tonight is on the Central Park Five so the documentary is called the Central Park Five um, I had seen it before but to get everything fresh in my mind and prepared for recording this episode tonight I watched it again, and there is some pretty heavy and heartbreaking moments. 
the men who were involved, um, they were just boys when this happened to them, but they're men now, because uh, this happened in 1989, they, they, they cry often in the documentary, their families are crying, it was very, a very, very hard thing for everyone that was involved. Um, so let me get into it. Let me tell you about this story. Um, so like, like I said, it's called the Central Park Five, and it's actually my first non-murder of the podcast. Like every other podcast episode that I've done has been murders. Uh, this is the first one that it's not. So proof that it's not just a murder podcast. It's true crime. It can be uh, attempted murder counts, robberies count, whatever, whatever counts. I, I don't, I don't make the rules. Okay. Um, so let's see. Uh, do, 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 do. Um, well, where am I? I write everything, I write like an outline, and then I get off of the script and I lose my spot, so forgive me. I may or may not edit this out, but you know, I know that my fans like a little raw dogging, so I'll try to keep it that way. It's nice to hear all of those things, I think. It makes it more interesting. Uh, to hear all of the mistakes and like not have it be so perfect. I don't need it to be perfect. I just want it to be entertaining and I want people to listen and I want them to get sucked in and be able to hold their attention and listen to everything that I have to say, even if it's fucking dumb, you know? All right, so... Uh, let's go. Um, so we're in New York in the late 80s. I'm going to start, I'm going to preface this with a little background information about New York City in the 80s, uh, about the economy, about everything that was happening in the world or mostly in, in our country, but especially New York City. Uh, so you've got one side where there's insane wealth from Wall Street. Everyone's getting fucking rich, doing coke, you know, you know how it goes. Uh, the financial industry is booming after a long period of stagnation. The uh, 70s and the early 80s were really, really rough on New York City. And in fact, uh, New York City almost filed for bankruptcy um, that's how bad it got. There was a huge recession. Um, crime and unemployment rates were at an all-time high. And a lot of the government and uh, municipal services uh, workers were laid off. Um, they were cut. So like garbage men, like shit was just cut. They just, it was bad. It was a bad, bad time. Um there also was no after-school programs. They Everything, all of that was canceled, shut down. They completely got cut. So kids were kind of on their own because parents, a lot of them still had to work. So parents were on their own. This was also the time that Son of Sam was on the loose. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, 
Um, David Berkowitz is his name. And I think that that is probably an episode that I'll eventually do. It's, it's a big one. Um, and I think a lot of people are aware of it. And I, I kind of want to start doing ones that people aren't so informed on. Um, but I've got so many and, um, his is a good one. So I'll probably do him down the line. Uh, anyways, so the whole country was going through this, but, uh, New York city, because they, uh, had so much violence. I feel it was a lot worse. Landlords and shit were like purposely burning places down to collect the insurance money. So a lot of people had nowhere to live and it was just bad. Um, there's actually this American Experience episode that I also watched recently called um, The Blackout, and it's really good. It doesn't have anything to do with the Central Park Five that I'm doing tonight, but it does show New York City at this, like during this time or like before, kind of like everything that led up to to the late 80s, how it was, like, uh, how it looked, all the looting, all the rioting, all of the uh, race wars and the violence and the crime, everything. It's super interesting and it's really good. So American Experience, The Blackout, I don't remember where I got it from, but um, I think it's like a PBS show, um, but quick Google search and you can find it. Um also, let's see. Um, okay, so uh, New York City was called the city that never sleeps. The lights were always on, uh, like Manhattan, just, you know, Broadway and all of the uh, big tourist attractions and nightlife, just lights on all the time. And uh, it, during the blackout I, in 1977, which is what this American experience is about um it was dark it got it was completely dark uh one of the guys was at a fancy restaurant in manhattan he looks out the window and i think he said it was brooklyn where you can usually see it is just completely dark and eventually all five boroughs like were completely dark and this caused a lot of shit. Um, and it kind of reminds me of the looting and the rioting and the burning down buildings that happened in Minneapolis recently. Uh, there was, people just went crazy. There was looting everywhere, like all, like stores, uh, supermarkets, they were looting everywhere. And who was there to stop them? Um, they had... They had called in the police officers, like they said, go to your nearest precinct, even if that's not the one you work for, report there. And they had all of these police officers like patrolling their areas uh, in plain clothes, and it just got crazy. So um, I suggest you guys check it out because it's really pretty fucking cool. Um, it was just obviously New York City is on a much bigger scale than Minneapolis, but 
it kind of reminded me of that. So, um, yeah, it just shows how things were back then, how things looked, and it carried over into the 80s. Uh, places, some of them never recovered. There were abandoned buildings and stuff. Um, like I said, there were race wars and class wars, and it was really ugly. Um, and in 1984, crack came into New York, and that brought a lot of crime. And hell broke loose after that. Um, so this story takes place in 1989, um, and a typical day back then looked like this. So New Yorkers reported in one day nine rapes, five murders, 255 robberies and 194 aggravated assaults in one fucking day. Can you imagine? I can't. So the poor working class families are the ones who experienced this the worst, of course. Um, Black and Latino communities in Bedford-Stuyve and uh, in Brooklyn, Harlem, Brownsville, East New York. Uh, then you have the Upper East Side, rich as shit people. So you've got these two different classes. You've got the rich as shit fucking Upper East Side and the uh, working class families. At about 9 p.m. on April 19th, 1989, um, about 30 teenagers entered Central Park at an entrance in Harlem, and some of the boys made several attacks, assaults, and robberies to uh, people who were walking, biking, or jogging in the park in the northernmost part of the park near the uh, reservoir. So between 9 p.m. and 10 p.m., victims started reporting these crimes to the police. Um, some of the crimes that happened, um, they attacked a man who they assaulted, robbed, and left unconscious. They threw rocks at cars, attacked another jogger, uh, hitting him in the back of the head with a pipe and a stick. Uh, there was a school teacher that was out for a run who was severely beaten and they beat two men throughout the park. Uh, or wait, nope. Uh, they beat a lot more than that, but <laughs> they beat two men unconscious, hitting them with a metal pipe, stones, uh, punches, and kicking them in the head. Uh, so these kids were just wilding throughout the park. 30 goddamn teenagers. Teenagers are a fucking nightmare to begin with. You get 30 of them together? No, thank you. The, uh, so the cops show up at about 10.15, and uh, a bunch of kids are taken into custody. And two of these kids are named Kevin Richardson and Raymond Santana. They're both 14 years old, and they're charged with mischief. Um, and about 1.30 a.m., uh, there was a body that was discovered by a couple of passersby in a shallow ravine, and she was found wearing only her bra. She was uh, gagged, and her wrists were tied. Uh, in the documentary, they say that her wrists were like tied up to her mouth with a piece of her own clothing. So I'm just assuming her hands were up there, and they just kind of wrapped it all around her head. 
uh, and then she was covered in mud and blood. Her name was Trisha Miley, whose name actually was not revealed until 2003. Um, and she just went for her normal jog that night uh, shortly before 9 p.m. She had a routine. She always ran through Central Park uh, at around 9 p.m. This night was not any different. Um, so she had been knocked down and either dragged or chased about 300 feet uh, from the path and violently assaulted. She was stabbed five times, raped, sodomized, and beaten almost to death. Um, the first policeman actually who arrived on the scene said, and I quote, she was beaten so badly as anybody I've ever seen before. Uh, she looked like she was tortured. And they they brought her to the hospital, obviously, and they she was, like, unrecognizable. Um, so meanwhile, back at the police station, they were wrapping things up and about to send all of these kids home when they got news about Trisha's body. So this led to an intense interrogation for hours where they used tactics to wear the boys down. And that's how we do it these days. We just scare the living shit out of them and exhaust them until you get a confession out of them. Um, You withhold basic things from them that uh, normal people, people should have like food and water and sleep and until these boys finally are like I just want to fucking go home I'm scared they're 14 15 years old and they just want to get the fuck out of there so this took two days the interrogations and they had basically no food and no sleep and after two days they finally are worn down so much that they start to turn on each other. Uh, They all just want to go home. Um, And they think that if they tell the police and the the detectives what they're basically like pushing onto them, that they can go home. Uh, So the documentary shows a lot of this and it shows the backgrounds of these boys And these were all good kids with no records. Um, And it shows how broken down and scared they are. And they finally just start telling these detectives what they want to hear. And I, at that age, you're so naive. And I feel like they just were like, okay, if I tell them this, then I'll just, I'll be able to go home. They'll let me go home. But that was not the case. Um, So in written statements, they say that they were all accomplices in the the rape, in the attack, but none of them actually, like, raped her or attacked her. They were just there. Um, So these confessions bring in three more boys. Um, So there's five boys. The five boys are Kevin Richardson, Raymond Santana, who are 14 years old, Antron McRae, who's 15, uh, Yusuf Salam, who is also 15, and then Corey Weiss, who is 16. And they all confess except for Yusuf. 
Um, they're all arrested and then also charged with the attack at that time. Um, it was huge news and the media just goes fucking crazy with this story. And sadly, it confirmed a lot of the racial prejudices uh, and kind of had like the white New Yorkers image of like, what's wrong with this city? Um, So the boys say actually that they were wilding. That was a phrase that they came up with that they used to describe what they were doing that night. And it's a phrase that blew up and everyone used it and probably still use it to this day. I know for a fact they do. Uh, They also said that they were like a wolf pack and um, there was some other stuff that they said, but I can't remember that off the top of my head. Um, But wilding is a phrase that they used. So the media actually printed the boys' names, which is a super big no-no. The names of criminal suspects under the age of 16 years old are supposed to be withheld from the media and the public, and they did not do that at all. Uh, So listen to this shit. They actually printed their names, pictures, and the addresses of the juvenile suspects before they were even formally arraigned or indicted. They just were like... Here's the fucking information on these five children. Have at it. So after a few weeks, uh, the boys actually retracted their confessions. And uh, the videotapes that we see, uh, and in fact, the only part that was taped was after they had initially confessed. They did not tape any of the interrogations. Uh, they For those two days, they did not tape shit. Except when all of a sudden the boys were like, okay, we're ready to give our confessions after two days of being fucking worn down, starved, basically. Uh, basic necessities withheld from them. They... So only after days of being intimidated uh, and, like, leading them into the correct story is when they decided to tape these uh, interrogations, these confessions. So uh, after they had to tell their stories, like, five times, of course, like, first they were like, no, we didn't do anything. And then slowly it's like, yeah, okay, we were there. We saw this girl and this person was doing this like after two days of interrogations and scaring them into basically a false confession that's when they decided to tape their confessions not anything before just fucked up we've seen this before too with uh uh brandon dassey i think if i'm getting the name right and he was from the documentary um making a murderer and that is the oh fuck i can't remember the dude's name but he brandon dassey was the uh nephew of the guy who got first he uh was sent to prison for raping 
a woman and then he was innocent all of like many years later they figured out who the real and the right person was and then there was another woman who was killed and he went to prison for it and he is saying that he was uh uh framed for that as well anyways brandon dassey was an underage his underage nephew who also we believe some believe i don't want to share opinions on that but um it was fucked up he was he's slow mentally he's autistic on the spectrum at some level and he was totally coerced into this confession um but that's what they did basically to these children as well um so uh trisha was in such bad shape that they actually gave her last rites they um did not think she was going to live like they were certain that she was going to die but after 12 days in a coma, she wakes up. And eventually she was able to talk, read, and walk. But she had absolutely no recollection of the night that she was attacked. Which is probably good for her. But it's um, it doesn't look so good for these boys. Like, they have no one to back them and um but it's good that she probably does not remember that because she was I mean it was brutal so Linda Fairstein of the sex crimes unit and her prosecutor Elizabeth Letterer were put on the case now normally the homicide unit would be looking into this because she was so close to death um but these bitches are part of the the investigation from the beginning and I say these bitches I hate calling women bitches so I apologize for that but they were so they they think that these kids did it so they're building their case around that idea and they get to do all of these things that are going to lead the case for the prosecutors. So it is a very unfair advantage for these boys from the beginning because prosecution was brought into the investigation where they got to test the crime scene and shit and it was just fucked up from the beginning. Um, That's not normal. Usually, um, like, because they were a part of this, they get to skew the results in any way that they want. Now prosecutors and attorneys and shit don't get that information usually until investigation is done by the detectives so for them to be brought in like at the beginning was just not good for these boys from the start Um, so they're in on it from the beginning so of course everyone the media everyone is going nuts because it's a white woman that was quote-unquote attacked well no she not not quote-unquote attacked she was fucking attacked by a group of I'll say quote-unquote black boys um and it just fuels the race war um and shit is just crazy uh it's very conveniently being piled onto these five boys so the night of this attack in uh Bedford Stuy a woman was raped and thrown off a building 
but it was never fucking talked about by the media. Why? Because it was a black man and a black woman. It was not a white woman who was attacked by black boys. Um, and that's what they say on the documentary. That Those aren't my words, but I, that's, I agree. I agree with that 100%. Um, so also, uh, 28 rapes were also reported the same week as the attack. Uh, but the media ignored those as well, of course. So uh, some of the black community also had turned against the boys because shit was happening in their neighborhoods and they thought that these boys were giving them a bad reputation. Um, and then you have good old Donald Trump who puts out a full-page ad in four different newspapers saying that he wants the death penalty to be reinstated in New York, even though that was not even in the fucking picture for this crime for these boys at all. Um, just fucking slumlord. Um, speaking of Trump, this has nothing to do with anything, but uh, recently I saw a clip from some shit from like the Obama days. I don't know if it was like uh, while he was running for president or some benefit, I don't know what it was, but it was like an Obama type, like dinner. Um, so Seth Meyer was speaking. He was from SNL. Uh, he was speaking at this event and Trump was there and he kept making Trump jokes that were, well, maybe they were mean. I don't know, but they were jokes on Trump and the camera stayed focused on Trump the entire time and he just sat there with this stupid ass mad look on his face and it was just like it was hilarious because he looked so fucking mad and like just fucking lighten up a little dude like laugh a little like no wonder fucking people make fun of you like you're so easily triggered you're so easy to troll like he just said one thing and donald trump was like man if looks could kill he just had this scowl on his face but it was so funny um that just popped into my head because trump i i saw it recently and i just thought it was pretty fucking funny and i thought i'd share it um so anyways um they did analyze dna that was collected and it did not match any of the boys. Um, they were under the impression, uh, prosecutors were under the impression that uh, since none of the DNA, since the DNA didn't match any of the boys, that there had to be a sixth person who no one is mentioning, like none of the five boys mentioned, and that the DNA would match this sixth person. Uh, there was no other evidence or DNA that matched any of the boys. There was no, like, scratches on any of the boys. There was no, like, dirt or anything that showed up on any of the boys' clothing or shoes. Uh, like I said, the DNA that was collected did not match. They came in to the police station completely clean. No mud, no dirt. Uh, no scratches or marks except for one of the kids, I 
think it was Kevin Richardson. Don't quote me on that, but I I think it was him. Uh, had a scratch on his face, but that was actually from one of the arresting officers when they were going to arrest him. Uh, he fucking like hit him in the face with his helmet or some shit. And uh, so that's where that mark came from. Um, the crime scene also looked like it was a single person attacking a single person. Like there was a path where she was dragged uh, and the path was barely a foot and a half wide. It was like 18 inches wide, they said. And it definitely did not look like there were five people involved. Um, but they were really, really adamant about uh, pinning it on these five boys. So the trial... Um, went forward with no evidence, only the circumstantial evidence, evidence, which was uh, the confessions of the boys, um, the heavily influenced, intimidated, and coerced confessions. Um, so the boys who were 15 and 14 years old, uh, Kevin, Yusuf, Antron, and Raymond, were convicted of rape, assault, robbery, and riot in the attacks, and they got the maximum sentence for juveniles, which is five to ten years. I don't know if I mentioned this, but I think I meant to. I might have, so forgive me if I did, but they, I think I did, that they retracted their statements, like, shortly, a couple weeks, maybe after they they gave them, uh, they retracted their confessions. Um, but that didn't matter. They went forward with the trial. Again, that was the only evidence, circumstantial evidence that they had against these boys. So, uh, five to 10 years for these juveniles, uh, Kevin, Yusuf, Antron, and Raymond. And Corey Weiss, however, uh, was tried as an adult. He's 16, so I guess that's why. And he got the maximum of 5 to 15 years in fucking Rikers. Like, hardcore fucking prison. And going in as a rapist, it is not looking good for him. Uh, He got completely fucking, like, fucked the worst out of all of those boys. I mean, they all got fucked, but he got the worst. And um, he does share on the documentary that he was fucked with a lot and he was beat up and his ass was kicked a lot. It didn't say if he was raped or anything, but who knows? I mean, a rapist going into Rikers probably was fucking raped. And it's just, oh, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Watch the documentary. It's good. Um, uh, it's good. So watch it. Um, of course, everyone was so fucking happy when the boys got sentenced, like they were rejoicing and they figured they fucking closed the case, like justice was served. And this is why my racism is justified. But man, you got the wrong boys. You got the wrong fucking people. Um, 
So during that same summer, uh, there was a serial rapist wandering around the Upper East Side, fucking terrorizing everyone. And he was called the East Side Rapist. His name was uh, Matthias. No, Matthias. Yes, Matthias. Matthias Reyes, I believe, is how it's pronounced. So he was caught on August 5th, 1989, for almost four months after the uh, Central Park attack. And he was 17 years old. And he was called the East Side Rapist. And one of his victims actually, uh, when speaking to detectives, had said the man had fresh stitches on his chin, and it was right after the Central Park attack. Um, so he did confess to one murder, five rapes, two attempted rapes. And the murder that he did was, um, it was a woman who was pregnant and her three children heard it through the wall of the bedroom. So sad. Um, But on the documentary, uh, Corey Weiss talks about this briefly, how uh, this Matthias Reyes, Matthias Reyes, I don't fucking remember how to pronounce his name. Uh, He, how he came up to him one day and was like, dude, like I know you're in here for, basically I know you're in here for fucking shit you didn't do. And, um, so he eventually confesses, um, after I think like 13 years of, after Corey Weiss has been in prison and serving this time. Um, and, uh, do let's see. So his, okay. So in the documentary, they also talk about how his name was mentioned, uh, like two detectives who were trying to, uh, you know, investigate this Central Park attack. His name was mentioned, but they never fucking look into him as being a possible suspect for the Central Park attack at all. It's just completely ignored. So, um... 13 years later, he finally comes forward and says that he was the one that attacked and raped Trisha. He mentions a bunch of shit that really only the suspect would know. Um, like, like the, the five boys could not get this infor- information right, no matter how much the detectives had coerced them. Um, Excuse me, I just fucking sneezed. Um, it's that goddamn alcohol. Am I allergic to it? I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but it's kind of sad. It's a sad day here. Um, of course, I lost my place again. Um, so he mentions things that the the boys could not get right, no matter how much they were coerced. Uh, only things that, like, the attacker would know. Um, like, where he threw her sock, where he threw her keys, um, because he was so mad that she would not give him her address because he wanted to, like, go and 
fucking rob her place. He was so mad he just fucking threw the keys and he told investigators exactly where these keys where he threw them and and he was right um just a bunch of shit that no one else knew also they tested his dna or sorry they tested the dna that was found at the scene of the crime against him and it was a fucking match so a few of the boys had um already been released from prison they served their time um, like I said, this was 13 years later that he confessed. Uh, Corey Weiss was still in prison, and so was Raymond Santana. Uh, Raymond Santana, he was actually released uh, for the initial, you know, crime attack against Trisha. But he had gone back to prison for a drug charge. Now, obviously, life after being labeled a sex offender is really fucking hard. Like, they had to register as sex offenders. Um, getting jobs wasn't easy. Uh, Raymond also, uh, almost got a job at the post office, but when he at- was asked if he had ever been convicted of a felony, he told them yes, because in the documentary, these are his words. He says he he can't lie. They asked him this question, and he said, yes, I was. Um, so he did not get the job. So he could not get a job. So he started selling drugs, which I feel like is, uh, like, that's kind of what you turn to when you can't get a job and, like, your options are limited Like, I mean, obviously we all have choices, but sometimes we have to make choices that probably aren't the best because we need to survive. You got to do what you got to do. So he he started selling drugs and um, he got caught somehow, um, which was a probation violation. Uh, he also, uh, he went back to prison and since he was a prior offender, um, and I think it was because he had a prior felony, he, his sentence was even longer, maybe even doubled possibly. Um, but when Reyes confessed, he was released because the initial felony was no longer valid. Uh, so he got released. Um, Corey Wise served his entire 15-year sentence, and I think the other boys uh, served six to seven years each, with the exception of Raymond Santana, because he got sent back. Oh, motherfucker, I just spilled my goddamn wine. Gotta take a break. Okay, guys, I'm back. Had a little mishap. I was talking with my fucking hands, and just knocked over my entire glass of wine so i'm officially cutting myself off after i finish this glass <laughs> uh so where were we uh okay they served the uh six to seven years each um So in 2002, the convictions were thrown out, and the boys, who are now men, uh, are now exonerated, 
And in 2014, New York City paid them $41 million as a settlement. Like, that's fucking awesome. And I nearly cried when I heard that. And I still want to cry right now when I am saying it because it's just so good to know that New York City realized like that's them saying hey we fucked up and we fucked up bad and it is so like it sucks because these guys had to spend you know their childhood and their like teenage years and early adult years in prison known as fucking sex offenders and that's no amount of money probably can make up for that But it's so nice that they were given something, you know, from New York City saying we fucked up and we are so sorry. Um, But like while this trial and all of this shit was going on, like the media was so crazy about like, hey, these boys did it. These five boys did it. And like they were so like guilty 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 like when when they were uh exonerated and when these charges were overturned like they the media hardly reported on this at all and it was like you guys are so fucking like so hard up to say that we were fucking guilty and then when we're you know when it comes out that we didn't do this shit, like, they're like, eh, okay, well, next story. It's just fucked up. So I'm glad that they got something. Um, so uh, Trisha ended up with uh, five months of rehabilitation, and in 1995, she ran the New York City Marathon in Central Park and actually had to run past the place where this happened to her. So good for her. Uh, I'm sure, excuse me, I'm sure it was not easy. Uh, And in 2003, she wrote a memoir called I Am the Central Park Jogger. And that's when her identity came out. uh, What is that? 89 to 2003, 14 years? Is that right? Math is hard, especially when you're drinking wine. But that sounds right to me. Uh, so all of that time though, her, her identity was, was, uh, kept a secret basically. Um, she does some amazing things now. She works with a lot of different groups and, um, I feel like, like it would be interesting to know what she thinks of the boys being wrongly convicted and all that. Um, And as far as I know, to this day, she still does not have any memory, any recollection of what happened to her that night, Um, which, I mean, that's probably for the best. Um, Otherwise, I feel like she would have a lifetime of fucking nightmares waking up in the middle of the night, just fucking like I probably would. So it's it's probably for the best she does not remember. Um, and that is it. That's all I have on the Central Park Five. Um, I want to say justice was served, but uh, these these boys' childhoods, 
childhoods were uh, ruined. They they had to spend their late teen, early 20 years in prison, uh, with the exception of Corey Weiss, who had to spend, uh, what was it, 16 years or whatever, 15 years uh, in prison in Rikers for shit they didn't do, for shit he didn't do. Um, but that's, that's my story. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed it. Um, I, please write in, like, uh, I want to know some of the stories that you guys have. Any, like, murder stories that you may have, like, that may have happened in your hometown? I know I've got a couple. Um, any, not even murder, true crime, uh, attempted murders, or or anything that has to do with true crime, write in. Tell me your hometown stories, and I'll read them. Um, Thank you for the continuous love and support. Um, Please holler at me if you want to be a guest. I know it's hard sometimes, like, hey, I would want to be on this show, but I don't just want to think I'm special and be like, hey, let me invite myself to your show. But please, invite yourself to my fucking show because... I'm asking you to, and I want you to, and I want to talk to you. So, um, let's, let's plan something. Let's hang out. Let's, let's be friends. Okay. Um, you don't even have to like come with a murder. You don't have to really be interested in, in true crime. Um, I will totally like get a story prepared and like read it to you and we can just like bullshit in between my paragraphs and like you can ask questions like you know we can just bullshit like you don't have to be a true crime expert or even interested I just want to talk to you so let's plan something okay um the email to write in to me is of monsters and crime at gmail.com um please like and subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. If you want to become a patron, I've got a Patreon link. Um, it's uh, patreon.com slash of monsters and crime. And um, I think that's it for me now. So until next time, goodbye.